Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your host, Doug Sweeney. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney. I'm joined today by Lyle Holland, who is pastor of Christ Methodist Church in Florence, Alabama, and executive director of the Board of Ministry for the North Alabama Provisional Annual Conference of the New Global Methodist Church. In Pastor Holland's role as executive director of the Board of Ministry, he oversees the recruitment, evaluation, examination, guidance, and mentoring of candidates for ordained ministry in North Alabama, some of whom are studying right here at Beeson Divinity School. So, uh, Pastor Holland, we thank you for your ministry, and we thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Doug, thank you for having me. Looking forward to being able to talk to you for a little bit. So some of our listeners probably know you already, but for those who don't, uh, why don't we introduce you to them? Tell us just a little bit about yourself, how you came to know the Lord, how you became a pastor. I used to joke that I was a Methodist from birth. I was born at Caraway Methodist Hospital here in Birmingham. My parents met at Rock Methodist in Tarrant. They went through MYF, Methodist Youth Fellowship, together, married during college. I was, again, born here, baptized there, and raised in the Methodist Church. Um, My home church, Ninth Street Decatur, is the place where I learned about Jesus. I was nurtured and discipled just by the way the people lived their faith and they modeled the faith to me. Mm. Made a commitment to Christ, came to know Jesus at a lay witness mission, which was a renewal ministry that was in the United Methodist Church back in the 70s, 80s. Mm. And um, in my freshman year in college, after a period of drifting away, I came back to Christ and it was in my college years that I sensed a call to ministry. Uh, that was nurtured by my home church, and it was the place that I responded to the call uh, on my life, the first place I ever preached, the first place I ever had any ministry role. Um, so in many ways, whether I was United Methodist, Methodist, Global Methodist, God has used the people called Methodist uh, to shape me, to convert me, and to uh, call me and deploy me in ministry. Mm, That is wonderful. We want to focus most of our conversation with you today on what's going on these days in the new Global Methodist Church. We want our folks to know about it and be praying for it and support it. We want them to know Beeson's a place where uh, people who feel like the Lord's leading them into pastoral ministry in the Global Methodist Church can come and prepare. Yes. But before we get to the present, Tell us just a little bit about how many churches have you served over the years? What's the shape of your ministry been like? Yeah, I I was one of those folks that started serving churches while I was in college. I was 20 when I entered candidacy for ministry. Hmm. Uh, And when that happened back then, the district superintendent might call you and say, are you interested in taking a church next week? And it almost (laughs) was that quick. Uh, Went through a basic licensing school and while a student in college and then in seminary, I served churches here in Alabama. So served, uh, I was under appointment in the United Methodist Church in one form or fashion for 40 years. Wow. Uh, as a student pastor, as an associate at First Methodist in Florence, Alabama, with youth and college, uh, to that solo lead pastor in a rural 
setting a you know a small church of 100 120 in worship to being the the founding pastor of a church down here in Birmingham. I pastored in Helena mm -hmm. and planted the church at Cahaba Bend. I was there for 13 years. Mm -hmm. Then from there moved to a couple of different United Methodist congregations in which I was the senior pastor with uh, staff, with appointed staff or clergy, as well as hired uh, lay professional staff. Um, and in 23, after going through this period, uh, as the denomination was separating, mm -hmm. um, in June of 23, I withdrew my credentials from the United Methodist Church and entered ministry with the Global Methodist Church. They recognized my, my credentials, and I was appointed to Christ Methodist in Florence, Alabama. Oh, that's great. We probably ought to help at least some of our listeners understand what's been going on in recent years in the Methodist Church. You're a great person to help with this because you served for decades as a faithful pastor in the United Methodist Church and are now moving over to the Global Methodist Church and providing leadership there. Right. You know, without getting into things that wouldn't be super edifying, just kind of help our people get up to speed. Those who aren't Methodists don't know what's been going on and why is there a Global Methodist Church these days? That's a, that's a great question, Doug. And I know that those of us that lived in it think everybody knows all the details. And we were at a point where we ate, drank, slept. This, these divisions. Um, in the United Methodist Church, pretty close to the origin of the United Methodist Church, a debate developed around the question of, of human sexuality. How will we welcome and be in ministry with people who are LGBTQ? Um, the denomination from 72 forward had made a commitment to what we might call a traditional understanding related to um, marriage, mm -hmm. uh, one man, one woman, uh, ordination, that uh, someone who is to be ordained lives up, is to live to the highest consideration of, of uh, Christian sexual, sexual ethics. I don't even know if I would say those should be the highest but what we have considered the historic, traditional commitment mm -hmm. of the church. Um, but that was really a presenting issue in how we found ourselves. We would see scripture from a different place. Uh, there was a division in understanding how we understood scripture, how we understood our call uh, to offer Christ to the world. And um, those continue to play out. Methodists gather every four years or so for a thing called the General Conference, mm -hmm. where the polity and uh, the shared commitments and doctrine and practice are debated and agreed upon. Some pieces, as, they, as folks will have always reminded me, will never change. Uh, the Articles of Religion and, and that, that is there. But how we apply those in our work uh, in ministry would come up for debate, and they would be would work perfect, maybe adapt to context is what we would hear. Uh, it came to a head in Portland in 2016 when uh, because 
general conference was turning into just chaos, mm-hmm. uh, the bishops were asked to c- come back to general the general conference with a plan to move forward. And that plan was a period of study in which they would bring a path forward uh, to a called general conference specifically to deal with this issue. And that general conference was called and it came together in 2019 uh, for just a few days in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, the result was the, the bishops brought what we said were three plans. There were really only two because the third one was far more complex than anybody wanted to wrestle with. One was called the One Church Plan, which would create more of a local uh, ruling. It would allow conferences, churches to determine how they would relate to uh the questions around marriage and ordination. Mm. And whole conferences would go one way or the other, or Confer- maybe congregations Conferences or could. congregations. Okay. And we might see, rather than geographic, th- there's a lot of pieces that were never clearly defined with that. The other plan brought forward was the traditional plan, which was, this is who we are, this is where we have been, and now not only do we want to say, yes, this is who we are, but here are also some clear accountability measures that would be a part of that. Um, the 2019 General Conference passed the traditional plan. And that was delegates from North America, from Europe, from Africa, from Asia. It was not a major majority, but it was a majority. And so it, that was passed. And even from the moment that was passed, there were delegates specifically and primarily from the U.S., who made it clear that they would not abide by that decision uh, and they would fight it. Mm. One of our African bishops pulled together a group of thought leaders from a variety of groups, uh, perspectives, the spectrum, and had a conversation, started a conversation with them. We need a plan that will allow us to separate It was no longer, how can we stay together? A person who worked specifically with large groups negotiating these type of agreements volunteered his services. And what was produced from that was what a thing we came to call the protocol. It was essentially an agreement for how we would separate. Mm -hmm. And the expectation was that at General Conference 2020, that would be the... um, the primary focus of General Conference in 2020, it would be voted on and it would allow those who wanted to be a part of a traditional Methodist denomination, they could go and it would allow for annual conferences to vote at a, if I remember correctly, it it was a little more than a simple majority vote. It was, I believe, somewhere around 54 to 56%. I I haven't looked at that in a while now. So (laughs) we really thought that's where we were going. And the votes were there and COVID hit and eliminated general conference in 20. And we were not able to come back in 21 or 22. And it was in 22 that it was announced by the United Methodist uh, Commission on General Conference that they were now looking at 2024 for the next general conference. The feeling among many, uh, many who are part of the general, the global Methodist church now, 
uh, and the, specifically the leadership of the Global Methodist Church, looked at this and had the sense that support for the protocol was eroding. Some of the groups that had signed off on it, helped author it, had withdrawn their support mm. and were switching their support to another plan, which would have been far more like the one church plan that had been authored originally. And that is why the Global Methodist Church launched in May of 2022. Uh, it became a legal entity uh, with clergy and some churches. And that then began the, what we've seen in conferences across the U.S. Uh, where churches using a paragraph that was produced in 2019 were pursuing an exit, a disaffiliation from the United Methodist Church. Um, for the global United Methodist Church, um, they were told that Africans were told that the paragraph 2553 did not apply to the churches outside the U.S. Mm -hmm. So there's a different process that they're going through. And in some cases, like in Kenya, we had 56 United Methodist Churches disaffiliate on their own hmm. and are now in the Global Methodist Church. Yeah. So overall, you're not going to be able to nail this number down precisely, but how many people are we talking about who have left the United Methodist Church? How many congregations or members are now kind of moving into the Global Methodist Church? In the Global Methodist Church, we're looking at over 3,000 churches in the U.S., mm -hmm. over 3,000 clergy, more clergy than, than churches. The membership numbers, I don't know that we have that completely compiled right now. No. We are still compiling that just for North Alabama. Hmm. And we have some churches that have disaffiliated who wanted to sit out and take a little time to decide where will we land. Yeah. And so we have just recently added a few churches that disaffiliated back in December, but they wanted some time to breathe. Yeah. What's all this been like for you as a pastor, I would think it's got to be a little heartrending. Mm -hmm. You get through all the difficulty, and especially if you're a denominational leader, you're sort of committed to leading people very positively moving forward. But yeah. what's the last several years been like for a guy like you? It has been a it's been a slow motion experience of grief. Grief, knowing what is coming, not knowing exactly when it's coming. Hmm. Uh, I, I I would not compare it to having a, a family member who is long as terminal. I wouldn't do them that disservice. But at the same time, um, you spend most of your life, more of your life in the United Methodist Church than not, in my case. I experienced a good bit of what, uh, what Kubler-Ross's definition of experience of grief, mm -hmm. anger, sadness, bargaining, disbelief. The reality was there are people in the United Methodist Church that I know and love, and we're friends. And it, it, it's it, that's lay people that I have served with, that is clergy who I labored alongside of, uh, whether on a same staff or on different conference boards. And there's grief in the loss of that connection. And in some cases, grief in the loss of that relationship, because my decision to go ended, did end a few relationships. Hmm. Yeah. 
So let's give our listeners, too, a little bit of feel. I know these are early days. Uh, we're going to see what comes of the Global Methodist Church. It's hard to describe everything yeah. in a, with anything like finality at this point. Yes. But insofar as uh, we can describe what the, the GMC is like and uh, what you hope it will be like mm-hmm. moving forward, what its priorities are going to be and so on, how would you describe it? We keep saying that right now we are building the bridge as we walk on it, or we're flying the plane as we fly on it. Mm. And I think we're flying on the plane as we try to land it right now. We're committed to being a Wesley Arminian expression of historic Christianity. Mm. We remain committed to the faith that was handed down to the saints and a traditional and I say a traditional in the best way of talking about the traditional. Was it, was it, uh, who was it that said that traditionalism is the dead faith of the living and tradition is the living faith of the dead? Yeah. We're committed to tra- tradition. Mm-hmm. And that is where we have our roots. Um, we are also committed to being a denomination with low overhead that believes that the best place for investment in ministry in places that make disciples, who make disciples, is the local church. And that the local church does not exist to support the bureaucracy, the denomination. Mm -hmm. Um, At present, we have two active bishops for all 3,000 whatever churches. Wow, those are big jobs. And, yes, and, we, and, and they are not residential t- really to us. Uh, our bishop is Bishop Scott Jones. Scott had been a bishop in the United Methodist Church, had taught at uh, Perkins at SMU, and makes his home in Dallas. And so he is our bishop somewhat from a distance. He advises, he counsels. There's times where he's been present. He was here for our annual conference. So when we ordained 68 people in August, he was here to be a part of that, and he provides us with that leadership. But part of the decentralization in that sense is to have your bishops in Dallas. There's not a brick-and-mortar denominational headquarters right now. When the Transitional Leadership Council meets, and that's who is leading us in this period until we get to general conference. When they meet, they meet by Zoom because they're all over. Mm -hmm. And we're thankful for technology that allows us to do that. And we don't invest in brick and mortar uh, nearly as much as we might have had to once upon a time. We will be a denomination that reclaims church planting. Hmm. You're involved in that right now. I'm I'm involved in that right now. (laughs) I am at a Christ Methodist is a a church plant of folks who left a church that they had been with for a long time. We share some of the same type of experience of grief, uh, of leaving, and yet the excitement of being part of something new. Mm. And we have folks who have been surrounded by beautiful hardwood and stained glass in their sanctuaries who are now meeting in a rented space for worship. Yeah. And they love it. Huh. So on the one hand, you're the traditionalists 
yes. who have left because the, the United Methodist Church isn't traditional like it used to be. Yes. So you could, if you just stop there, you might leave listeners thinking, well, this is like the, the Methodists were 50 years ago, but it's not because there's so much that's different technologically. There's so much that's different among just in terms of priorities of the leaders, yes. given the experience they've had the last decade or so. Yeah, the, the misnomer, the, the, the use of the word traditional conjures up different things for different people, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. For a, a lot of Methodists, it conjured up a specific worship style. And right now in North Alabama, our churches that are in the Global Methodist Church range from uh, one church that is almost Anglican in their and their preferences and style of worship to churches that are very contemporary, committed to modern worship, uh, with a band and jeans and the you know the the senior pastor. You would the only time you would see him in a tie is during the week when something tragic has happened. But you would never see him like that on Sunday morning. Uh, and they are engaging young families and young couples and sending people in in mission globally uh, in teams and groups. Uh, we have one, a couple of churches here in the Birmingham area, Christ Methodist, for mm -hmm. one in particular, who I know you've had a few students come through for yes. Christ. Yes, and Matt O'Reilly's here on campus all the time. Yes, and Matt's here. Yeah. And their commitment to global missions and being a missional people here in Birmingham as well, understanding that, yes, they're a suburban church, but they are a Birmingham church, and they have a commitment to the city that uh, is is really inspiring. Hmm. And I wish and I hope that many of our folks will get to hear that and see that and be challenged by it. Yeah. All right. So now let's ask a question or two that might help some of our current students or prospective students who tune into the podcast, try to get a feel for yeah. Beeson. You're running the Board of Ministry yes. for our region. That means you play a special role in kind of coaching the up-and-comers mm -hmm. uh, in the Global Methodist Church. What are you looking for in a Global Methodist pastor? What are the priorities that people like you have in their minds when they're coaching, guiding, shaping the next generation of ministers yeah. in your denomination? Well, I've said this so many times, but I'll say it again. We do want people who have a clear commitment to a Wesleyan Arminian understanding of the faith. Um, I know that words like evangelical have been uh, sullied, but in some places it's turned into more of a political statement. But to be a person who's committed to being bearing the good news, and as a Wesley Ar Wesleyan Arminian who believes that God's grace is offered to all, and you bring the good news, and then there is the opportunity for anyone and everyone to say yes to God's salvation, and a salvation that is not just that first yes, but it continues through life, uh, that God's grace is what sanctifies as we cooperate in, with him. Um, the other, other pieces, um, I look for folks who have a heart for making disciples, mm -hmm. who do not see their role as someone who comes, it will come to a church and just take care of those who are present. They'll embrace Wesley's uh, famous motto, the world is my parish, which of course that was his statement when he was 
told he couldn't preach in this parish anymore. Yeah. And he was barred from, I believe it was even his home church, Upworth. He said, the world is my parish. I go wherever God calls me to go and, and preach the gospel. So to understand that they may be serving a church, but that church is the mission, base of mission operation in that community. Uh, and they have a heart for that. Yeah. That doesn't mean they know how to do it completely, but they have a heart for it. And if they have a heart for it, we'll find a way to connect them with people who will mentor them, train them, and help them find ways of being effective in that setting. Yeah. Some of our listeners will know and all the current students at Beeson who, who take classes from Dr. Pascarello, who holds our Methodist chair here, know uh, that biblical holiness has long been a hallmark of Methodist churches as well. When non-Methodists hear that, they don't always know what that means. Help, help us out a little bit. What's the kind of biblical holiness that good Methodists are calling the rest of us to account for. Yeah, we used to, you know, used to hear the phrase Christian perfection or to be made perfect in love. And then even that phrase perfection creates questions, perfectionism. Yeah. When we talk about being made holy, I love Wesley's definition talking about a Methodist is someone who loves God with their her whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's, the, it's living out the Shema in such a way mm-hmm. Or, or as Scott McKnight calls it, the Jesus Creed, mm-hmm. in such a way that we love God with our, all our, we are, we love our neighbors. And that becomes our primary motivation. Uh, and that what moves our life. Um, is there still a possibility that even in that place you'll sin? Yes, obviously. But the intent, the trajectory of your heart and your mind is to love God fully with all you are. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been in our history some who will say that is a, that's a second work of grace in the Wesley Arminian history, and and others will say no, it is a progressive each stage. And I think all of us have had moments in our life following Christ in which it was not a simple one step forward, but something God used something or we had a, an experience in a place in which we took a leap forward and God, we, God got access to our hearts and minds in ways that we did not expect. Uh, and it was transformative. So my argument would be whether you want to say it's a second work of grace and that defining second crisis kind of experience or whether it is something that over time God shapes me and redeems me in a way in which I come to reflect uh, the image of Jesus more and more in my life. However it happens, the most important thing is that it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the Lord exhorts us to make it happen. Absolutely. If all, all Bible Christians should say that, huh? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's try to bring this all the way home to Beeson if we can, just for a minute before we conclude. So we said at the top of the show, Beeson is now a a recognized, authorized seminary for the Global Methodist Church. So what does that mean? And if you're a current Beeson student who's trying to figure out, does the Lord have this for me? Or a prospective student thinking maybe the Lord's going to lead me into ministry in the Global Methodist Church, what could Beeson do to facilitate that? Yeah, we are so appreciative to Beeson for stepping into this relationship with us because the Global Methodist Church has a clear curriculum path 
in an MDiv toward ordination. And, and I don't know where the conversations happened here. You can talk about that. But the, it was a clear that Beeson had some intention of saying, how can we partner with this yes. new denomination, this movement? So early early agreement and approval from the GMC that this would be a recommended uh, education partner. Uh, there is some courses, um, Westland Theology, Polity, uh, History of the Church. Um, we, and I, and I know that uh, Mike yeah. Pascarello will definitely touch on uh, sacramental theology. Uh, yes. All of those things that we need, but we also are excited about the interdenominational aspect that Beeson brings to for students who come to us into the Global Methodist Church to have that type of exposure to uh, classically trained uh, Orthodox respected scholars who are Baptist, who are Presbyterian, who are Anglican, who bring these aspects to the table as well uh, to enrich us. Because despite what the world was like when I was born in 61, just because you were a Methodist does not mean that you would always be a Methodist. And just because you are a Baptist or a Presbyterian does not mean you'll always be there. We have in many of our churches, you have people who have started in one place and have, been, have gone somewhere else. Yeah, it's a lot helpful. of young adults these days, a lot of seminary students yes. these days kind of move into mm -hmm. a new denominational home. Yeah. yeah, so you have that happening. And and then you also just have the reality is that we are engaging a far less churched culture. Mm -hmm. And those brands, those tribal definitions don't matter as much. They don't matter to our neighbors and those who are on who are on the outside of our tribe as much as it does for us on the inside of the tribe. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, that commitment that Beeson has made is vital because we had not had in the UM a educational partner right here in the heart of the state. And I know Montgomery's the capital, Birmingham's the heart mm -hmm. of Alabama. And um, I, I recognize that Beeson is offering a, a real gift here. Uh, how can they learn more? You have uh, Methodist Studies uh, chair with Mike Pascarella. Uh, I'd already mentioned Christ Methodist, where Matt O'Reilly is. We have, uh, just in the Birmingham area, an easy drive from campus. Christ Methodist Mountain Chapel over in Vestavia Hills, Clear Branch out in the uh, Trustful area, First Methodist Trustful, First Methodist Hueytown. And I know as soon as I start doing this, I am going to <laughs> and blank more. and more. <laughs> so, but there are a number of churches in our area that are having good, vital ministry that reflect, I think, the wealth that is right now in the Global Methodist Church. Uh, and would be a great place for uh, students to have a kind of a come and see experience. Go see, taste. I promise you, if you walked up to the pastor at Clear Branch or Trustful First or Christ or Mountain Chapel and said, Hi, I'm a student at Beeson. I'm, I'm interested in what's happening. I want to learn more about the Global Methodist Church. And this church in particular, not only would they say, Let's grab lunch tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Let's find time to sit down. But how can, 
welcome them into getting a real feel and flavor of the church and an opportunity to connect. And to me, that is the first step for any student, anyone who's considering coming into the Global Methodist Church if they don't have that background. Uh, I, th I think you need to have a feel for what are you joining and not just what uh, someone like I can say, hey, here, here we are, this is what we do. Yeah. You wanna sign up, uh, but to go there. Uh, to become part of that church. And then from there would enter a, a phase of discernment we call candidacy. Uh, I don't think that's unique to us. I think everybody has a candidacy process. But they would enter candidacy. And uh, if through that period, a six-month period of candidacy, they it became clear that God was calling them to ministry in the Global Methodist Church ordained or not ordained, mm -hmm. but ordination is where it comes to me, uh, then the uh, personnel committee of the church would meet with them, uh, then recommend them, and then they would move forward with us in that process. Uh, our ordination process is a two-step um, if you are going to be an elder in the United Methodist, in the Global Methodist Church, one day I'll be able to not say that, <laughs> uh, get that out of my vocabulary. Um, you will be a, ordained a deacon first. And that can happen. You can, a person can be ordained a deacon while they are still uh, in seminary. Mm -hmm. After, after they have completed I think six of our required deacon level courses. Hmm. Um, similar to when I came through where I had to finish, I think a full third to two thirds of seminary work, I was able to be ordained prior to finishing seminary. Yeah. But th they could be ordained a deacon while still in seminary, finish seminary and then uh, apply and sit through the process of being approved and recommended for ordination as an elder. Yeah. And just for the sake of the, the non-Methodists listening here, Baptist, Presbyterian, yes. non-denominational folks, and so right. on, being an elder, if you're Methodist, is a little bit different from being an elder in some other denominational context. What, what is an elder for Methodists? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For, in the United Methodist Church, an elder is an, is an order, a clergy order. Uh, yeah, my mother-in-law was an elder in the Presbyterian Church. My daughter, grew, my wife grew up in, so I yeah, should have... A little bit of a different job. It's a little different <laughs> job. Uh, an elder would be ordained to word, order, and sacrament. Uh, that is the pastor in charge in a, in a, in a church. Um, uh, elder is a person who would also be considered at some point to have leadership at other levels within the denomination. As an elder, you could be uh, selected and invited to serve as a presiding elder, which is our version of a district superintendent. Uh, elders are then eligible also to be elected as a bishop at some point. Um, so it, there is a little, there is a difference um, in that deacons is a we believe is a valid order and it's not just a stepping stone to elder. We have, we have folks that have, 
they're ordained deacons and they remain deacons. That mm-hmm. was their full deacon, and that's God's call in their life mm-hmm. to serve the church, to serve the world, and to connect the church to the world. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite deacons right now in North Alabama is a young man uh, that his place of service is as a history teacher and wrestling coach in a public school. Mm. And it is his opportunity to be in ministry in that place, and the school knows it. Yeah, that's great. And they support that. Yeah. Um, and he helps connect us into that school in some ways that we we wouldn't have entree to the lives of those in those families any other way. Yeah. Well, Pastor Holland, uh, thank you very much for being with us. I do have one uh, final, really important, practical question for you. But before I ask it. I want to remind our listeners, and those who listen all the time will remember this, but we had Dr. Pascarello, our Methodist chair, on the show just a few months ago, and he laid out for us what the uh, Wesleyan certificate looks like here at Beeson Divinity School, the Wesleyan track of study that uh, helps Beeson students whom the Lord is leading towards ministry in Well, we serve a few different Wesleyan churches, Wesleyan Church, Church of the Nazarene, Methodist Church, and so on. But if you're in one of those traditions, this track is for you. And basically, you use your elective hours to prepare for ordained ministry in a Wesleyan church like the Global Methodist Church. So Beeson is becoming a a more and more helpful place all the time for such folks and listeners. If you or someone you love would be a great fit in the Global Methodist Church in particular, please let us know. We'll take good care of them. We'll get them plugged into a good global Methodist church here in town. Well, they'll come under the supervision of a pastor. We'll introduce them to Pastor Holland and in all kinds of ways, including an internship way. We call it a practicum way. Uh, They'll be prepared for the kind of ministry that Pastor Holland has described. All right, Lyle, we always end these podcast interviews the same way. Uh, And it's more fun, I think, to end them this way with somebody who's been faithful in walking with the Lord and serving his church for as many years as you have. The concluding question is always, is the Lord still teaching you things? What's the Lord doing in your life these days uh, that you might offer to our listeners as a kind of concluding word of encouragement to them? I think the Lord is teaching me uh, maybe reminding me is a better way of talking about it um, because I sometimes have to go back to lessons that I feel like I should have learned. And it may sound simple, but to understand that my life in Christ is not something that I achieve, but it's something that I receive, mm-hmm. that it comes to me by grace, that it comes to all of us by grace. And... Uh, Perhaps it's because I've been preaching through Ephesians this fall, hmm. but living in that. Um, yes, there's effort as we learn to cooperate with God's grace at work in our life by, pra- by intentional practices. But I, it's never something I can claim as this, I, this is what I have accomplished. The gift of that is to understand that my identity in Christ is not something that I am responsible to build and polish up. Hmm. But as one who has been adopted by a father, uh, that is who I am first. Hmm. That's a wonderful word. And listeners, that's who you are first as well, if you have placed your faith in Christ. Amen. 
you have been listening to Pastor Lyle Holland. He serves Christ Methodist Church in Florence. Uh, the reason we've invited him to be on the podcast today is he's also executive director of the Board of Provisional Annual Ministry uh, for the New Global Methodist Church. And he's the one in our region who takes good care of, looks after, up and coming uh, people like the people at Beeson Divinity School who are interested in the possibility of being ordained to uh, pastoral ministry in the Global Methodist Church. So he's a good person to know. Thank you, Lyle, for being with us. Doug, thank you for having me with you to be on here today. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. As ever, we love you. We're praying for you. And we say goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from the campus of Samford University. Our theme music is by Advent Birmingham. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our engineer is Rob Willis, and our show host is Doug Sweeney. For more episodes and to subscribe, visit BeesonDivinity.com slash podcast. You can also find the Beeson Podcast on iTunes and Spotify.